Y'all can be seated. I'm going to get my stuff set up here. So, I don't know if you're kind of like me when it gets to some of these stories of Christ in the gospel. Um, my tendency, especially teaching, is to feel like I've got to come up with something new. Um, does anybody else feel that way when you read them? Like, what, what are these really saying? I'm so familiar with them. And those kind of things, am I the only one? Okay, so, so some of y'all are like, like me. Okay, that's, I'm glad to know that. Um, and the, the, the confession of that is this, that I, I don't want to just try to trump something up, for sure, because that's dangerous. Um, but the more I think, and, and I think it, you, you'll recognize this, uh, especially the longer you've been walking in your faith, uh, with the Lord and studying the Word, is that you, you will recognize that every time you open the Scriptures, there's really more truths and new truths that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. And it's, it's not that the new truths are something just new, but they're probably new to you as you're continuing to grow and intertwining truths of Scripture, and maybe it's a place where you are in your life with the Lord, uh, in, in your own walk, uh, where you are circumstantially. And so, so I, I want to share all that to say this morning, just because we're dealing with something that may be really familiar, man, Josh, I just got to say, there is a lot of wisdom in that. Everybody turn back and look this way at the man with the baby. There you go, Josh, in the shade tree. <laughs> so I know some of y'all are like hiding behind a tent. You'd probably be better off just to go back there. Danny, you can't go that far. You can't hear. So this morning, as we're in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 14 again, and we're going to be looking at this account of Jesus walking on the water. And, and I'm sure you're familiar with this account, but I want to also assure you this. I think that the Lord is going to hopefully teach you some new things this morning that will help you in your journey of faith. One of the, the first thoughts that, that I want to give you this morning um, is this that how we understand Jesus is the most important thought that we can have. And, and I know you've probably heard me say something very similar to that before, but it doesn't change. The most important thing that we can think about and, uh, and grab a hold of is how to understand Jesus Christ rightly. Because if we don't understand him, everything else in life that we struggle with, especially when, and I was thinking about this as we were worshiping to that last song, we're talking about Jesus bringing healing. What is the real healing that we need? It's not just physical health. It's not healing from maybe tough circumstances and situations. It's that we have a sin problem that needs healing. And I believe that very clearly in this passage, that comes back into play as we think through the minds of what the gospel writers were doing. So I want us to read uh, Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 through 33 this morning together and then we'll jump into the, the thoughts that we did I have for the text and we'll uh, hopefully get some good good things together here okay so let's begin in Matthew 14 22 by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, let's consider a little bit of the context this morning for, for what's going on. Uh, first of all, last week we saw that Jesus had uh, been... Uh, when, when John the Baptist had just been killed, 
Uh, Jesus was concerned and, and, and retreated in a place of prayer and, and isolation, I think, to get his thoughts together. Again, where do we find him and what do we see him doing here in this situation? We find him retreating on the mountainside to pray by himself. And you might be going, why would he keep doing this? Well, it's interesting. We don't get this from Matthew's uh, gospel, but we see this in, in Mark's. Uh, I'm sorry, in John's gospel, when John was recording the events of this day, one of the things that happened at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 is that the people, the crowds, wanted to take Jesus, and they wanted, the, the scriptures literally said that he wanted, they, the crowds wanted to force him to be the king. Now, now, we need to stop there for just a second and think about that context. Jesus is going to be the returning king one day. He's establishing his kingdom, but it's a different kind of kingdom than that physical uh, kingdom that would win a physical battle with the Romans at this point. But, but that pressure by the crowds was, in this sense, very similar to what Satan himself had done with Jesus while Jesus was in the wilderness, offering him a kingdom on this earth now. And so I think that Jesus retreats here to clear his mind, to make sure that he is ready to endure what he must endure to become the sin bearer. Because it's not time for him to come to that full uh, fulfillment of that promise uh, of what God had done in his exact purpose for Jesus. So, so he's having to fight this temptation again. Even though it's not as major as what Satan presented to him, it's still a, a temptation for him. So he retreats in prayer to align rightly with this Father. And, and, and folks, I would say this. I would say for us, that is a perfect model. That, that when temptations and struggles come, that, that want, where the enemy wants to lead us, no matter how seemingly insignificant they are, we need to retreat into relationship with our Heavenly Father and get rightly aligned for the long-term purposes that, that he has established for us. So um, I think that uh, that's a key to what's, uh, uh, what's happening in this whole context. So, so Jesus is, is, in this sense, retreating to, to get this time alone. Now this morning, I want us to, to turn the, the, the tables, if you will, a little bit. And we're going to focus in on three key ideas that the disciples encounter with Christ here. The first one is that their confusion is overcome. The second one is this that there's a challenge that is extended to faith. And, and then the third is this, the champion is acknowledged. So I want us to look first at how the disciples were confused and that confusion is overcome. So when, when the disciples saw Jesus, what, what was their response to Jesus? They said, what? He's a ghost. I, I love, uh, I read Spurgeon's thoughts on, on this passage. His title of his message was something along the lines of, of an, a phantom. Um, and just that old English language there, I, I love that, that term. But it's that idea that they, they thought Jesus was a ghost. They, they probably recognized him at some level. I mean, you you're spend a little bit of time with somebody, and when you see them from a distance, you can tell by maybe their posture, their walk, the, the, the way that their body is shaped and all those kind of things, you can identify somebody, right? So I, I would say that they're thinking at first, oh, that, that could be Jesus, but wait, wait, that's, there's no way. He's walking on the water in the midst of this storm. And, and so there's this confusion that they experience. And so I, I, as I was thinking about this, I started like pondering, how do we respond to our own confusion about who Jesus Christ is? The, the things and thoughts that we have that will sometimes present themselves where we, we have this misaligned uh, understanding. And, and I think just like the, the disciples, now remember, they're walking with Jesus. They, they, you kind of say, oh, they have a, no reason. There shouldn't be any excuse for them missing out on Christ. But, but we're going to see that they were confused, and that confusion is ultimately clarified. But here's our problem. I think a lot of times when we come and we think we know stuff about Jesus Christ, there's actually a dimness to our perception, just like they had. That, that we see, because the scriptures tell us, we see through a veil dimly anyhow, right? So, so when we have these misperceptions, or we haven't continued to study Jesus Christ well, so, so that we learn to know him, what happens is what ought to be a consolation or comfort to us 
about Christ actually turns into a source of fear. Because our, our lack of knowledge of him actually creates distance. So, so it's only through growing in intimacy with Christ that that confusion can be overcome. Now here's the real danger. And, and I, I want to relate this to the song we were just singing a couple minutes ago. We, we sang this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why is it? I think, why is it that we struggle with those things? I think because we see a real, mis, or, we, or we tend to have a real misunderstanding about who Christ is. And when we have that misunderstanding, what it leads to is a, a incorrect understanding of how we are to really respond to Christ. And that robs us of our joy in, in progress in our faith. And so the goal for us, folks, is that we ought to rightly understand Christ so that our joy and understanding of him transforms our lives of faith so that we walk properly, so, so that we're no longer prone to wander, so that, that we're no longer ready to leave the God that we love. Instead, we understand rightly that, that he is the one who satisfies. And so what we see in the Gospels is Jesus Christ being like brought to light that there's a clarity given by the gospel writers so that we would know Jesus intimately. And that in knowing him intimately, we would learn to love him more effectively in, in, in a response that produces not only a, a worshipful response to him, but it, it's a benefit to us because no longer are we relying on the, the misperceptions that, uh, 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 that we have of Christ. Now, let me take this a little bit further because I think, and, and, and I want to be careful here, but I think you need to think through this as well as, as I did this week. When we have misperceptions about Christ, here's the tendency. Instead of following Christ and abiding in him who, as who we are rightly, what we've done is we've supplanted him and we start operating according to our own means. That, that we've operated out of a false sense of security and a false Christ that we've actually set up. And that means that who we think Christ ought to be, we've, we've supplanted, we've, we've replaced him with our own desires, our own ideas, and they leave us short. Does that make sense? So the caution is, if we don't understand Christ carefully and clearly, the danger zone for us is to insert our own thoughts, perspectives, ideas, habits, actions in place of serving Christ. And that is where it leaves us prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love because we're loving the wrong person. And, and, and folks don't say, well, I don't do that. Oh, yeah, you do. We do it almost every day because we end up Supplanting Christ and then depending on our own means, our own efforts. And it is dangerous. So let me, let me show you how Christ overcame that. So as, as you remember uh, in the text, what Jesus was doing is he comes out on the water. And the disciples are, are scared. And then what does Jesus say as they're, they're crying out? You know, as they, in the, they say, it's a ghost. Jesus, they don't even address Jesus, but Jesus says to them what in verse 27? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So, so here is this scene where everything is in turmoil, but Jesus reintroduces himself to them, and he says, take heart, do not be afraid, this is Jesus. Now, now I'm going to cover something that will be important for some other thoughts later. When Jesus said, it is I, that is actually the same Greek phrase uh, that is translated in Exodus when Moses, in, in the Septuagint, okay, remember the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and what happens here is Jesus is using the exact same phrase that God used when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. So, so Jesus is equating himself in the disciples' mind with the fact that he is truly the sovereign. So part of the clarification is, I am the sovereign God walking on the water to you. And then the disciples see this played out. Now, now, Preston, are you with me today? Where, where is he? Preston, are you down there? Wave at me, buddy. I'm here. Okay, you said you were going to tune in to me. Your mom told me about that, right? 
Okay, so I, this illustration's for you, man, okay? Have you ever been on a small boat before? Yes. Okay, cool. So I remember, Preston, when I was about your age, we had this little boat. It was called the SS Minnow, um, no joke. Um, and it was about a 14-foot little green fiberglass boat. It had like a, a little six to eight horsepower outboard engine on it. And we, we, I remember getting out on our, uh, the lake where we, we vacationed a bunch down in Alabama, and we ran up on a big storm that just kind of came in. We were out probably about two or three miles, which is not far from the, the house, but it was enough in that little boat puttering around that, that it got scary. And the wind came up while we were trying to get back, and no joke, it was white capping. So, you know, and, and when you're talking a, a boat with only, you know, the gunwale's about like this and you're hitting white caps and it's like that, it just got intense, you know, and we're kids, so our imaginations are, you know, going crazy with it too. Now, now Preston here, one of the things I was thinking about is that this ship, that the, the, the boat that the disciples were in, it's not like the Titanic. Judd, I'm sure it was not as seaworthy as your boat was that you, got, you guys had down in St. Croix even. Um, now, it, it, you got to think about the time that this boat was built, it would have been all out of wood. And, and I don't think it would have been very deep. It probably had some kind of shallow keel on it to help it stay, you know, as they're fishing and, and dealing with wind on the Sea of Galilee. But it was probably not this huge vessel. But, but here's the, and, and, and this is some of the things I've looked at. The Sea of Galilee and some storms, they get uh, waves as high as 12 to 15 feet on that sea. It can get crazy, okay? Not just a little white cap, but serious <coughs> waves. Now, I think that, that you gotta imagine this, okay? The fourth watch is from the hour of three o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning. That's the terms that, that the Jews use to uh, keep up with the time at, at night. So imagine, let, let's say it's at the kind of latter part. Maybe the sunrise is just getting to happen, but there's this big storm of some kind that's probably darkening the sun, and the, the disciples have been out there for some length of time okay, almost all night, trying to get across the Sea of Galilee from where Jesus was to where they were having this teaching on, on the feeding of the 5,000, which is probably on the north side of the lake, just a little bit to the um, east, west side of the lake. No, sorry, east side of the lake. And they're fighting in this little ship. And I can imagine that, that the wood on that ship is creaking because it's hitting these waves and slamming. I, I can even imagine, and it doesn't say this, but I, I, if the winds was this strong, Maybe their sails were starting to, to get torn. They're having to pull those down and get them down so they're because they're, they're not able to fight. They're probably all hands at the oars trying to just hold the ship in place and make progress to, to find some way to get out of the middle of the sea. And, and imagine this. The waves are so high. When waves hit a boat, what happens? The, the boat's going down, but the waves also just like scatter. And the mist and the water just go up and around, right? Y'all with me? You imagining this? And, and then when, if the wind's that strong, what's happening with that mist and those waves? It's probably coming back and hitting the disciples right in the face. You know? so, so this is not like some easy situation. It's real life. And they're, they're probably, well, they are more adults. Their imaginations are probably not running away with them like mine as a 10, 12-year-old kid was when I was out on the lake in the SS Minnow. This is real for them. And, and that cold water hitting their face in the middle of the night, they're probably exhausted, they're freezing, they're concerned for their life, and they're legitimately scared. It's a real deal. And then Jesus walks out on the water. And he says to them, it is I, I, I am God. Do not be afraid. And, and in that moment, folks, as their confusion begins to raise about everything they're doing, because they're there following the commands of Christ, their confusion also begins to diminish because Christ walks with them. And he begins to give real answers to the real situations that their life faces. So, so they came to this understanding that Jesus is real. And that brings us to our second point, the challenge of faith, our, our challenge uh, to, to our faith. And I want us to understand two things clearly about this. The first thing is this, 
that the reference that, that Matthew and I think Mark makes this as well, um, as they're thinking about the, the call of what or the, the, the work that's being done by Jesus in this moment is goes back to Matthew's goal of talking about fulfillment in his gospel again and again and again. Now let me help have you, help you with this thought. Turn over to the book of Job. I know you're going to, what? Job. Job chapter 9. This is so interesting to me. You've got to put yourself for a moment in a Jewish writer's mindset, like, like Matthew. And, and you've got to begin thinking about what is, is in the back of his mind as this whole thing is transpiring, as, as he's looking back, reflecting on this, this scene with the disciples in the boat, Peter walking on water uh, with Jesus, and he is reflecting on all these truths. Look at Job chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. It's, and, and here, Job is answering, okay, and he's talking about the, the glory of God. And here's what he says. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? See, I think in, his mind, in Matthew's mind, I, he's remembering back to this testimony of Job that, there, that God alone is the one who tramples the waves of the sea. And let's keep reading. He made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me. I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. There's some scholars that even believe that that verse 11 is that scene where the disciples are, are thinking, is it a ghost? They don't perceive him rightly, that, that he's pa about to pass him by. Because if you remember, what was Jesus' original intent as he got out in the water and started walking? He was just going to walk there. His, his intention wasn't necessarily to save the disciples at that point. But, but he was probably going to just pass him by. So I believe in Matthew's eyes and mind, he's going back to those scenes and going, this is just the perfect fulfillment of this sovereign God that we serve. And his faith, his understanding of Christ, is being clarified moment by moment. Now, now, as importantly, turn over to Job 16, verse 19. Because I believe, and we'll, we'll see this a little bit more clearly in just a minute as, the, as Matthew unfolds this entire account and the disciples, it's our, we've already read it, the disciples begin to worship Jesus and they call him the Son of God. Or, I'm sorry, the Son of Man. And here's why I believe that, that part of that reasoning that, that Matthew and the, and the disciples or gospel writers capture this is because of Job 16, 19. Here's what they're looking for. It says this, Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. Here, Job is looking for an arbiter. One who, and actually, if you go back, I forgot to mention this, in Job 9, verse um, 33 so he, Job is there talking about this. He says, There is no arbiter in heaven or arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. See, what Job is looking for is that mediator. He's looking for the one that would represent him before God because he knows his case is not strong enough. The disciples are looking and they're recognizing that Jesus alone is the mediator. And their faith about Christ is becoming more and more clear as the moment goes. So that's point one of how their faith is transformed. The challenge to their faith is transformed. So Gina, you're teaching our kids this morning, is that right? All right, boys and girls, you guys come on up here and we're gonna let them do some uh, focus on their teaching and uh, some worship for them. Hey, Oliver. afraid of me. He smelled me before. Good morning, children. I am so glad that you came up here this morning. And can anyone tell me who the main character is that Pastor Matt's been talking about this morning? Who, Claire? 
Jesus, good. Now, Miss Gina likes to ask hard questions. It's fun for me. So this morning, we're gonna talk about something that is big and amazing and might be something new for you to think about. Can anyone tell me what the word Trinity means? Leanne. Three and three, who, what, who's, who's three and one? Okay, Leanne said the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Boys and girls, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Father. Have you ever heard of the Son? Yeah, you heard, yeah, you heard of him this morning. How about the Holy Spirit? Yes. Okay, very good. So, boys and girls, the Trinity, whoa, yeah, the Trinity is how we understand who God is. God is one what and three who's. Let's say who the who's are. God is the Father. Say it with me. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now you go home and ask your mom and dad to explain that completely. <laughs> right, parents? Okay. So we're going to talk about one person, or actually two people in particular in the Trinity. Okay. And we are in the book of Acts. Is the Acts in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Testament. That's right. And what do we know about? It's in God's word. What do we know about God's word? God's word is what, AJ? God's word is true. God's word is true. So this is from the book of Acts. And Acts, A-C-T-S, that's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the stuff the Apostles did, Jesus' followers did, after he left and went back to heaven. Okay? So we're going to learn a little bit about that. At the very beginning of Acts, this is where we find out about what Jesus said and what he did right before he went back to heaven. Jesus made a big promise, and we're going to talk about that promise. Okay? Now, as I'm telling you this story, I'm going to say the words Holy Spirit several times. And every time I say Holy Spirit, I need you to raise the roof. Do any of you children know what it means to raise the roof? Do any of you adults? Come on, Miss Sherilyn, let me see it. Whoop, whoop. That's right. I want you to raise the roof. When I say Holy Spirit, what I want you to do, say whoop, whoop, raise the roof. Okay? All right. Let's practice. Today we're going to learn about a very special gift that God sends his people. The gift is the Holy Spirit. Whoop, whoop. Good. All right. Now, children, Jesus died on the cross. And after he died, did he stay dead? He rose from the dead, Oliver, that's right. He was resurrected. Jesus was alive again. He went to meet his friends, and some of his friends were like, wait a minute, you died, but now you're alive? And Jesus let them see his hands, they let him see his side, and he showed them that he really was alive. Now Jesus was alive, but he wasn't gonna stay on earth forever. Jesus was going back to heaven soon. Jesus had special work for his friends to do. And guess what? Jesus helps his people do what he wants them to do. Jesus doesn't say, oh, just go do all of these good things and then leaves us alone. He helps us. And we're going to learn exactly how he does that. Jesus taught his friends about God's kingdom. What did he teach them about? Good. He wanted his friends to tell people about God and about Jesus' love. Now, Jesus gave his friends a promise. What's a promise? Most of the time you have to do it. That's right. Say, well, a promise is something where we are say we're going to do this no matter what. Now, does God break his promises like we do sometimes, Preston? No, God never breaks his promise. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He promised the Holy Spirit would tell others about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, come on, Natalie, would, tell, would help them do what Jesus asked them to do. Jesus said, and this is going to be our memory verse we're going to talk about in a minute, wait for the gift my Father has promised. God would send the gift of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus promised. God always keeps his what? Promises. Promises. Jesus' friends didn't understand and you know what? I would be right there with them. They asked him lots and lots of questions, and Jesus didn't get mad at them for asking questions. Jesus answered their questions. He was so patient and so gentle. 
you know, Jesus helps his people do what he wants them to do. Like we just said, he doesn't leave us alone. So now it was time for Jesus to go back to where? To go back to heaven, that's right. Heaven is where God the Father lives. Remember we said God the Father, God the Son, and God the... Whoop, whoop, good. The disciples watched as Jesus went up to heaven. He went up and he went up in a cloud. Can you guys imagine that? Look up at the clouds. Let me see you look, look up at the clouds. Imagine Jesus going up to heaven and he goes up in the clouds. And God says, so there's two angels who are there. The disciples are not really sure what to do. They're confused. And there's two angels there to tell them, tell them what to do. They said that Jesus would come back at just the right time. And when Jesus comes, he will be king of all. Remember how Pastor Matt said that some of the people wanted to make Jesus the ruler of the world right then after he fed the people the fishes and loaves? Do you remember that? Was that the time for Jesus to be the king of the whole world? No. His kingdom was coming, okay, and his kingdom is here but not completely. So someday Jesus will come back and everybody will see him and he'll be the king of everything. Jesus' friends went back to the city to pray together and wait for the special gift of the Holy Spirit. Good. Jesus helps his people do what he wants them to do. And next week, we're going to hear about an amazing day when the Holy Spirit came. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. Good job. Y'all got me. Okay. Who helps his people do what he wants them to do? Oliver. Who's Jesus does. Good. Where did Jesus go? He went to heaven. Very good. What special gift did Jesus promise God would send? Claire? <laughs> what special gift? The Holy Spirit. Whoop, whoop. Good. Okay. So now, finally, we're going to say our memory verse to for today. But since I'm so cool... All the kids think I'm super cool. <laughs> Since I'm so cool, we're going to wrap it instead of say it. Are you ready? All right. Oh, Abigail's rolling her eyes. I can see it behind her sunglasses. All right. This is from Acts 1-4. I'm going to say a word, then you'll repeat after me, but I need you to wrap it with me, and I need you to raise the roof. Adults, I kind of need you to do this too. So raise the roof. Okay, here we go. Wait. Wait. For the gift. My father promised. Acts 1 4. Oh, that's good. Let's do it again. Wait for the gift. My father promised. Acts 1 4. Very good, students. So finally, Jesus, who is God's son, told his friends to wait for a special gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, good. Mr. Judd has this down. And God the Father, and who, the gift of the Holy Spirit, whoop, whoop, that God the Father promised to send. Very good listening this morning. I'm so proud of all of you. And good rapping. I think we have a future as, like a, as rappers. <laughs> My day job. <laughs> I'll get half the pay. Okay. <laughs> all right. I think, is Jovi about to come up here and sing with us? Is that what's about to happen? All right.
So as the kids are getting some things together, and I think there's going to be some popcorn handed out to them. Did we remember to do that? Great. Uh, so, so we had some popcorn left over from something else we had done. So uh, y'all enjoy some popcorn uh, on us. And, and Judd, if you don't have a kid that, man, oh man, Carson, what a great helper. Way to go, Ashley. I know Greg doesn't help around the house like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Greg even said, no, I don't. Um, so, if you, Judd, if you didn't get, if you don't have a kid and you want some popcorn, come find some afterwards, okay? Um, especially with the great job that you're doing with the raising the roof stuff. He deserves some popcorn. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, so, so, remember where we were before we, we took a break. We were, we were looking at how the disciples were getting this clarity because they, they understood the fulfillment of the promises of God. Now, who, who are my Latin scholars in, in, on campus today? <laughs> Thomas, I know you're lying. <laughs> Abigail Ryan, right? Yeah? Okay, are you going to correct my pronunciation of these words? You're, you, what'd you say? You'll try? Thanks. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't. You just say, way to go, Pastor Matt. Um, now, Gina, are your other kids taking Latin too? They have Latin too. They have Latin too. Okay, so they can correct me as well. Hopefully, okay. Um, well, I, I need all the help I can get, okay? So when, when um, I, as I was studying this week, James Montgomery Boyce, who's a pastor that I really respect and, and like, he, he was one who referred to this idea of the disciples growing in faith. And, and um, I, I think he summarized it this way, which I really like because I think it helps us understand the matters of faith itself and how it's not just about what we muster up. It's more importantly, it's about the person of Christ and the object of our faith. Uh, but there's still a responsibility that we have in our faith understanding um, in, in response to those things. So here's what James Montgomery points out. He talks about three different words that are used in Latin for the idea or concept of faith. The first one is notitia. Did I get that, Abigail? Notitia? Close enough? Pretty good? Okay. That refers to faith's content. You can I, I think about it in this context. Like, Latin's a base for us. We have a notion of something. It, it, we have the idea of the content of it, of it. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so, you think about what the disciples had been doing, they've been listening to Jesus' teaching already, right? So that they were getting a notion of, of these things about Christ. The second word is the word ascensus, which you kind of get the idea that uh, from, if you know anything, assenting to something, okay? That we end up agreeing with that. So that I think the disciples were also showing, hey, we, we're following Jesus. We, we have this understanding that, that he's got something special about him. But the third word is the most important, and that is the word fiducia. We, we might get the word fiduciary out of that. Um, that word right there, it actually has, when, when we think about fiduciary, what are we talking about? A trust, right? That we put that money in a trust that would build and grow. So, so the elements of faith actually have to do with the content. They have to do with us aligning and recognizing that, that the truth is there, but as important and as essential, and if it's left out, it's not really true faith, is this idea that we would put our trust in Christ. So, so I always use this kind of illustration when I talk about trust. I think it, it's, it's easy for us as adults especially to understand, even for kids to understand. When you guys came and sat down in your chairs today, what did you know mentally about that object? Come on, feed, feedback. It was a chair of some kind, okay? How, how many of you knew what the function of the chair was before when you pulled it out or sat, right? That's the ascensus. It's like you knew the object, you knew its purpose. Now, how many of you guys went like this and you began to like take the chair and, and like push your weight on it or you, you kind of went like real gingerly on the edge with your you know, quads engaged before you sat down? How, how many of y'all did that? Did you really, Miss Linda? You didn't trust Leonard to set it up? <laughs> Anybody else in Linda's boat? <laughs> Leonard, we're gonna have to talk about your, your chair uh, setting up ability, right? She knows you. <laughs> Linda, he must have been burned sometime by somebody jerking a chair out. So, yeah, you get my point, right? We, 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 we know the object. We, we know what it's for, 
And because we've at some point tested it and done that, we just sit down. We, we trust the chair. And, and that's the same way it ought to be with us in Christ. That when we learn about him, we understand what he's teaching, and we see how he operates, that our trust just goes in him. Our, our faith is secured, not because of us, but because of the faithfulness of the object. And see, that's what the disciples were learning. As Jesus and Peter are out there now walking on the water, that's kind of where we are in this journey, what Jesus does is he goes back into the boat and he speaks to the wind and the waves and says, be still. And the disciples in that moment trusted Jesus Christ, I think, differently than they ever had. And you say, well, Matt, how do you prove that? Well, look at, look at our text again, back in Matthew 14. Hopefully you're there and still can get there quickly. Look, look at verse 33. It says, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Now, this is, again, really interesting to me. Do you realize that other than the time where the Magi were worshiping in Matthew chapter 2, I think that's where it is, um, Jesus had not been worshipped in the gospel. There's no recording of Jesus being worshipped in the gospel of Matthew until this point. So the, the, the disciples are watching all this stuff happen. See, see their it, original issue of not having clarity about the, Jesus, this confusion was, was clarified. Their faith becomes secure, and all of a sudden, what are they doing? They're, they're championing Jesus Christ as the one he is. To, he is. They're recognizing truly the, the, he is the champion. He is the one who is sovereign, one to be the only one to be worshipped. There's no more hesitation on their part. And then interestingly again, here is the, the conclusion is they worship him and they say what? Truly you are the son of God. And you know who only had said that up to this point in the gospel of Matthew? This is really interesting to me. Only Satan and demons had said that. Jesus had actually quieted them at, at points because he did not want that revealed up until this point. Wow. Do, do you see when we have a clear understanding of Christ and, and a faith relationship with him, what it produces? It produces right worship and right understanding. And what did the disciples do with this after this point? Well, they, they, got in, they kept going into to Gennesaret where Jesus did more healing. They followed through in obedience to Christ. It's simple. Now let me give you one more little thing that I think is important for us to understand. And this is just quickly looking at the life of Peter. And I think, it, I think it's important for us to grab. And I, I want to go back to the, the picture of the chair and the, the faith real quick. Because I love what Spurgeon said uh, about this. He said, when Peter got out, he, he was operating in this, these three modes of, of faith, if you will. Okay? He, he's got the, the, the first one, the notitia. He's got a census. But he's trying to wrestle with this fiducia, or fiducia. He, he's trying to make sure that he is walking and in, in trusting Christ and surrendering him. And what happens in the process? Peter gets out of the boat. He's the only one. We shouldn't be critical of, of Peter's faith. He's the only one that got out of the boat. But at the same time, he struggled. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he started looking at the winds and the waves, or can't, well, he, I does say I think he looked at the wind. I'm not looking there real quick. But he's seeing the effects of the wind, and he's uh, seeing the waves, and his eyes go off Jesus, and what happens? He begins to sink. Now, here's the next thing. What, is, what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out his hand, and he takes him, and he says, Peter, will you use a little faith? Why did you doubt? Here's the interesting thing, and I love what Spurgeon says. Peter was near his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. I, I think that's a very profound lesson for us. When life begins to get really difficult, what do we need to do? Draw close to Christ. Draw close to Jesus. Because he is faithful. 
P Peter, yeah, he, 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 there's a, 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 I guess a, a lesson to be learned there for sure from, from his lack of faith. But the truth is, as Peter drew closer to Jesus, it's a quick response and it's sure, a sure help and hope that Peter experiences. So I, I uh, want us to do this. I want us to consider this question this morning. And this is before we look at the, the time of discussion. I think this is, the, if I had a concluding question, it would be this. This morning, how will you respond in faith to Christ? See, I, be, I believe this. I think he's asking every one of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. There's still room for a faith response to Christ as you draw near to him. Some, somebody here may not have ever responded to Christ. I remember doing it when I was 20 years old. Just, just uh, as, as a 20-year-old, knowing the mess that my life was, knowing that I needed Jesus Christ to save me from my sin, that, that my sin is what put him on the cross, that that is what he paid the penalty for. And I turned to him in faith and said, I know that that, that is uh, you, what you paid for. And I want to repent of my sin and surrender my life to you. That's the, the, the message of the gospel, that we know that Christ is resurrected from the dead and that we would surrender to him. But beyond that, guess what I still do every day, I hope, <laughs> try to. I tr try to still walk in that same surrender because my tendency can be to walk in the flesh and not be rightly surrendered to Christ every day. That I want to get up and away from my dependence upon him that's, that's just kind of a metaphor. And I walk away, and I think I can do this on my own. That's the most dangerous place to be. Because, yes, I walk in faith with considering that, that I have a faith relationship with Christ. But he becomes peripheral to me. He becomes secondary to me. And y'all are no different. <laughs> don't, don't judge me. <laughs> you know, it, It's that old adage, if I'm pointing in fingers, they're all back at me right now for me. But, but we're all the same. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, the tendency can still be to rely on your own strength instead of Him. And we all need to be challenged about what we're going to do in response to Christ and faith this morning. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a, a little bit of time of Q&A. Okay, so let's bow together. Heavenly Father, this morning, I'm so grateful for the truth of your word, for your Holy Spirit that uh, is so good to us, that takes the word of truth and gives us insight. And it's not just a mental thing. It's not just a scent where we can agree to. Lord, it is about your spirit giving us wisdom and truth to, so that we would walk rightly with you. And Lord, if there's ever, I think, a picture of that played out in the scriptures is this account with Jesus walking on water and how the disciples responded. Lord, I think there's a challenge before us that, that we would be like them in a lot of ways. Even despite their failures, Lord, they get a lot of things right. And the, the greatest thing that they got right in this account, Lord, I believe is that they recognized who Jesus Christ is and they worshiped him. And they, they called him the Son of Man, that title from Daniel that does recognize the eternal kingdom that is Jesus' uh, rule. And, and Lord, it is a powerful thing that, that Matthew and the other gospel writers collected and recalled and put forth. So today, Lord, let us not just be um, caught up in the truth. Let us rightly respond in faith to you so, so that we walk rightly, so that we find the, the hope of the gospel worked out in our lives every day. So, Father, that takes surrender. That takes trust. It, it takes a, a um, turning of our own power and authority over to the authority and power of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anything that would hinder that from happening in our lives, that's sin. Let us call it that because that's what you call it. And, Lord, you've set us free from that bondage. You've broken the chains through the blood of Christ. And though we are prone to wander and prone to leave the one we love, because we are secure in Christ, <laughs> sealed by the Holy Spirit, we don't have to live in, in bondage 
but we get to, to be secure in the freedom that has been purchased by you. So we celebrate all of those good things this morning, and we bless you for the perfect plan of salvation afforded to us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to ask this question for just kind of the Q&A time this morning. And I know it's only on this one screen. We had those technical problems this morning. So I'll kind of say it a couple times and let you chew on it for just a minute. It's, it's the, and so this is the question. How has your confusion of Christ become clarified as you have matured in your faith walk with Jesus? Okay? So think about what I'm trying to ask is, starting with the message at the, the beginning point, confusion that the disciples had. How has your confusion about Christ been clarified over your faith walk Okay, as you've matured with Christ? So this is a chance for us just to, to te give testimony. It may be a chance to share uh, at the mic up here uh, how... Uh, a manner that, that would encourage other people in their own faith walk. So, Debbie, you're doing the right thing. You're not waiting for me to be quiet. You're coming to the mic right away. So That's it. Thank you so much. That'll just help the people on Facebook, too, that are tuned in to hear you. Um, and so if, if you want to speak, too, as, as Debbie's sharing, just come on up to the mic. And we are going to have some more Q&A real quickly uh, after that, too. So, Debbie, I'm going to be quiet and listen. Or if you have a question, I'll try to listen and answer. It's just amazing. I just have to give a... Um praise to God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Something happened 2 a.m. last night, and today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And a scripture kept coming to my mind last night. I couldn't go back to sleep after it happened. A lot of you know that Jeff is a type 1 diabetic. I fell asleep in the other room last night at 2 a.m. I had a dream that Jeff walked into the living room, told me, my blood sugar's low. The bedroom door shut. I go in there, I open the bedroom door. He lifts up his head. I said, are you okay? And he said, yes. And um, I just felt compelled to check his blood sugar. He was 34. Mm. And so uh, anyway, gave him his juice. He's, he's fine, obviously he's here today. Uh, but anyway, the Holy Spirit woke me up in another room and it has done it countless times over our lives. And the scripture that come, kept coming to my mind was about praise, was Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and the lyre, praise him with tambourine and dancing, praise him with the strings and flute, praise him with cymbals and the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, that's all I wanted to say. And Debbie, thank you for sharing that because, again, it's that whole idea of who Jesus is and his faithfulness to us can be trusted. And, and so much so that he left us the Holy Spirit, is what Gina taught about, the gift, who's the comforter. And, and, and um, Students, y'all remember my challenge to you guys from Wednesday night? Yeah. Don't forget, there, there's a reward for everybody who studies Ephesians 1.13 that talks about the fact, because last week in youth ministry, we were looking at God's gift as the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And, and I, one of the verses that was left out is Ephesians 1.13. What does the Holy Spirit do in Ephesians 1.13? Oh, come on. Somebody look it up. Say it again really loud, Gina. That's it. What's he do? He seals us until the day of redemption. Oh, my goodness. And that's that, Debbie, is the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us confidence. That's what that sealing represents, that we are secure in Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit as well. What else? Other thoughts? How, how has confusion of Christ become clarified? Or is there another testimony that you, you want to share? That's cool. All right, let me just ask this. Do you all have any other questions or comments? Judd's getting up. <laughs> I see that body posture. That look in the eye kind of behind the sunglasses. I think, uh, well, they're actually regular glasses. They're just they're, they're, yeah, they're 
transitions. Um, I think one of the biggest things I learned uh, had to do with as you're growing, you're trying to you see God reveals things. Oh, you shouldn't really be doing that, or you should be doing this, and all this stuff. And keep trying, and you fail, and you keep trying, and you fail, and you go, Lord, why can't I do this? And one day, the Spirit just said to me, you've got it backwards. You keep trying to do things for me, and I'm trying to give you the gift of freedom from this. Just receive it. And it was, it was just such a weird, and so it's like just turned everything upside down kind of a thing. Made, made it a whole lot easier to do it, because if you're if you have something that you're just trying to hold on to as opposed to something you're striving to get it's so much easier to not let go than it is to try to grab Come on, so, anyway that was one of the big revelations i had yeah thank you judd I, I shared this i think it was last week um but it's ephesians 2 10 where it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think that the tendency is for us to think, well, we, we have these good works that we're supposed to walk in. Well, I'll make up these good works. That, that is me trying to do the good work and, and come up with that. Time out. The simple truth is this. God has already prepared the good works for us. All we have to do is walk in them. So, so it's that relational side of, of knowing who he is and how, how he's working in us to walk in them. And, and, and I, that's just your, your, your tale kind of, or what you're saying, Judd, reminds me, how often do I try to stir the good works up myself? Do I just find the good works God's doing and I walk in those? Rachel, come on up. Timed that perfectly, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. Thank you. <laughs> I was trusting that chair. Thank you. I'm fulfilling the yeah, illustration this morning. Maybe it was going to fall down. It might have. I saved your life, kind of. <laughs> no, you didn't do that. That's Jesus' responsibility, it not is. mine. Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that Judd said reminded me of a confusion that I had probably in my, like around the same time you came to the Lord, early 20s. Um, there was such a sense of but I would have to give up so much to become a Christian or to walk with the Lord. You know, I would have to give up whatever, any number of things. And to realize I don't have to give up anything. Once I come into relationship with the Lord, it turns it around and I want to change because I love him and I want to be obedient to yeah. him. It's not that I have to say, okay, I'm never going to drink again so that I can go to church. It's that, you know, I love the Lord. I know he says don't, you know, get drunk. So I'm going to moderate that. Yeah, You know, absolutely. like when you're in college, there's all these things that are like, why are you doing that? Because I don't want the older. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's the flip side. Yeah, I, I, thank you, Rachel. And, and, and I'm going to give you a simple illustration. Katie, don't kill me later, okay? And, and know that you can just say, yeah, I don't get it perfect. But when Katie and I were first married, we were living in a, a two-bedroom apartment. I, it probably wasn't a month into our marriage that she, she said, how come you can't ever, and it wasn't this tone. I'm sorry, I'm presenting something that, that may not. This, this is the way it felt, okay? This is what I heard. Uh, how can you never get your clothes into the laundry basket? Well, I was one of three boys. I did my own laundry pretty much all my middle school and high school years. It didn't matter what, where my clothes went to me. I, I knew what was dirty. I knew what wasn't. And if it was close to the laundry basket, it was going to go in and I was going to do it. Well, Katie's desire was to do laundry for me, which when she said that, I was like, whatever. Why is it a big deal? But, but here's the truth, okay? Even yesterday... I threw a pair of shorts into our walk-in closet where the laundry basket sits at the end of the closet, and it was short. I didn't think much about it until I went back in the closet an hour later or something for something else, and I went, oh, those shorts were short and of the laundry basket. And I went and I got them, and I put them in the laundry basket. Why did I do that? So she because I no not because she would so she wouldn't gripe at me. Okay, that is the wrong answer. Because she's given up. She's given up hope. You know, 
Her, am I wrong in that? No. <laughs> she's she's giving me the frumpy face and saying, no, you're not wrong in that. There's counseling for this. There is counseling for this. And I share it every time in premarriage counseling. This is one of my illustrations. But But the truth is, even though I don't do it perfectly, what do I still try to do to honor Katie? When I miss the basket, I still, as best as I can, because I'm a flawed, terribly flawed human man, okay, that's worthy of male bashing. All you women get, get to, to do that to me later, okay? Or your husbands, because I've shared this illustration. I still try to go back because I love her and put the shorts or put the object back in the basket. Is that a loss of freedom? No. That's the joy of relationship. Because when I honor her rightly, in those occasions that I do get it, what does it do? It brings peace and joy and harmony into our relationship. And how much more should I long to do those things with my Savior? To, to, to build a relationship with Him that is full of abundant joy. And for, for Him, the truth is, there's nothing sinful about missing the basket. But the things I do in relationship with Christ typically do end up being sinful on my part. And so I'd much rather focus in and say, how do I serve him in obedience and gain the freedom, Rachel, like what you're talking about? Because it is that. And, and the joy of the relationship that you're mentioning is so sweet. It really is. But, but non-believers don't get that, folks. They, they look at the, the different side of that, like there's a pressure and it's, a, it's, it's, sh it's hanging over my head to get those things right. It's not that. It's not that. And I see lots of nods like this, understanding it. Other thoughts, other questions? Anything else? Go ahead, Judd, last one. We're going to put a limit on Judd from Who votes to have a limit on Judd's comments? No, <laughs> I won't tell you who raised their hand the fastest and highest. That almost came out of their chair. It may be your daughter. I was, I was watching, man. I, I didn't have to look at her. Yeah. I only knew what her opinion was. No, I was going to say, one of the other things that was a huge revelation in, for me in my growth and, and walk with Jesus was I did a study, I think it was Watchman Nee, mm -hmm. on Pray Without Ceasing. Yeah. And um, it just hit me one day that how much that, that God is interested in everything in my life. And in my business, a lot of it involved, I was re redoing pools or something, I'd spend hours in there grinding the side of the pool or whatever. I had this tremendous, the whole time I'd be just yakking with God or talking about, you know, how can I get this, is there an easier way to do all these things? And in everything, I found in a way I was praying without ceasing because everything I did sort of involved a conversation with him on how to do it and what to do. And, you know, you're washing the dishes, you're weeding the garden, whatever it is, you just get involved with him on it. Say, is this a weed here? Or, you know, it, it was so funny how it, it changed in, in um, you know, as we talked about, well, I gotta give up all these things I used to love to do. You get on the ride with God, and I'll tell you what, it's the ride of your life. Yep. There is no boredom at all involved in that. Because right. when he starts telling you to go, oh, you see that, go over there. You're on for, for quite a trip, and it's amazing. So, but Thanks, Judd. Yeah, D Danny Taylor, I'm speaking to you again. Go listen to that Lost Dogs CD if you haven't. Yeah, so d you got to listen to the other song now, Pray Where You Are, okay? Pray Where You Are. It's a great song. The chorus goes, if I can remember it, in the, in the fields and in the factories, there's no limits, rules, or boundaries. At work or school or driving in your car, pray where you are. You, you, you don't, no, you please do not pray King James. If you read, if you read King James, I will maybe allow it. If you talk in King James too, to, to your spouse. But if you don't talk in King James to your spouse, please don't talk King James to the Lord. Just be pray where you are. Just, just talk to him like regular guys and gals, because he wants to just know you. He already knows you. Just be yourself before him. In the fields and the factories, there's no limits, rules, or boundaries. At work or school, driving your car, pray where you are. Now, yeah, if, yeah, Judd said, if you want to know how real to be, just read some psalms. Pray, pray psalms. And, and if you're praying, doing them in King James, 
get out of King James. <laughs> I love the King James, don't get me wrong. Okay, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I would encourage if you're a King James guy and you're looking to pray, go to the new King James and get the these and thous and all that stuff out. Um, they're both great translations, but that that will help you. 